the Making Sense of Life podcast number 48. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome again to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja, as we seek to make sense of life in an increasingly challenging, complex world. Well, this is our fifth and final conversation with Andy Parnham. Andy, we've hit, we've hit a record. Have we? Well done. So it, it, in case you don't know, this is Andy. We're with Andy Pan on his book, Lasting Happiness in Search of Deeper Meaning and Fulfillment. Now, I want to ask you, do you want to be happy? I'm sure you want to be happy. All of us want to be happy. And that's why it's great to have our in-house um, happiness guru, as I cheekily like, like to say, uh, Andy with us. Um, and again, five podcasts, it's quite, it's quite a record on, on this subject. But the reason we're doing that, because it's such an important subject and there's so much confusion when it comes to happiness in our world. Our world tells us if you want to be happy, just have it's what's what is it? It's health, wealth, and happiness. That's that's all I need. Just I need to be healthy. I need to have lots of money. I need to have lots of good things in my life, and I'll be happy. And yet the reality is, there's so much more than just having what I want and being healthy, wealthy, and happy. In fact, as all the research shows, that the more we you know we've never been more materially prosperous at any time of history than now, and yet rates of suicide, depression, anxiety, and meaninglessness have never been higher. And that's because our lives are much more than being faster, better, and stronger. So Andy, I love the way you talk about this in, in, in your book. You've, you've got this lovely joke about an American fisherman and an, and a Mexican fisherman. Um, why don't you tell us about that, that, that joke? I think, I think, I think it, it sort of in, encapsulates the problem really well. Well, it's, of course, not original to me. It's, uh, you can find it in all kinds of places, but it's, uh, it's quite a classic tale, really. I, whether it's true or not, who knows. Um, but it's the story of an American businessman who's spent some time in Mexico, and he spots this little fishing smack, little fishing boat come in, and the Mexican fisherman uh, is there. And the American says to him, oh, okay, so um, how are you doing? Have you caught much? He says, yeah, not bad. And, and how much do you get? And he tells him, and he says to him, hey, I'm an MBA um, businessman. I can tell you what you need to do. Um, by the way, what time, you know, what uh, do you do with the rest of your time? We're not fishing. He says, oh, well, I, you know, I, I after my uh, business work, I spend time with my family. I go down to the village. I sing some songs, eat some food with my friends and uh, live a good 
life really and he said oh no no what you need to do is you need to increase your tax your your sorry your your catch and gradually build up not just one boat but a whole fleet what you need is a, a, a whole concern then not only do you then uh, do that but you cut out the middleman you produce your own uh, canneries or whatever they are and uh, you could build up to millions, or at least when you, of course, you would need to relocate from here up to Mexico City or maybe even New York. By that time, you float your company on the stock market and you sell at a huge profit and you become a billionaire. And the Mexican says, oh, so what happens then? You know, it'll take 20 years for that. He says, ah, oh, that's the good bit, because then you can, because uh, you're so rich, you can retire and you could go to a nice, quiet place, maybe in Mexico, and retire to do a little bit of singing. You spend time with your family, your friends, your amigos down the bar. And, um, you know, you could live the rest of your life in that very happy way. And the Mexican goes, these Americans, they're strange, because that's exactly what his life is already. <laughs> and the point about that is that they, they breathe the same air, they're uh, speaking a common language, but they live in completely different worlds. Their worldviews are very, very different. And think again, thinking about what is really important, and yet they and, and yet going all that way around to get back to where you started at the beginning. But you use those words, um, worldview. Let's to think about this as we think about what does it mean to be happy and what does it mean to live a, a happy life in the truest sense of the word. And on the previous podcast, we talked about the importance of relationships we talk about having um being engaged in the work that you're doing uh, as well and that's so much more than just material things but culture and worldview have a big part to play but for those of us who you know you define those words for us explain what we mean by that the culture and worldview well perhaps even before i will but even before that perhaps it's worth asking the question uh why we talk about culture and worldview what's that got to do with all the stuff we've talked about about longing and relationships and material wealth or whatever it might be here's my here's my view on that that we can live at all kinds of different levels in life we can live on a completely superficial level where we're only thinking of um you know material wealth and well-being all of which is very important but often people will as part of our anxiety today is the realization there's more to life yeah. because we, we've been given this message that if you have all the material things then you will be happy and you'll be fulfilled but it's it's definitely not the case so to find lasting happiness or if you like lasting fulfillment satisfaction in life what we've been talking about these last podcasts and certainly in the book is that you actually need to to dig down a little bit deeper because this word meaning and that's the connection into what we're going to talk about today um this word meaning is, is a tri if happiness is a bit of a tricky word then meaning is even trickier so for example if i was to say to you what does meaning mean or what's the meaning of meaning what would you say Wow, what does meaning, meaning mean? That sounds making sense, I suppose. Um, what does meaning mean? Yeah, just making sense, um, bringing everything together. What's the overarching sense of it all? Absolutely. And so um, it, it, it's not a trick question. It's a real question. And the idea of that, when you look at the dictionaries, they tell you what meaning is. It's something like this. It's that which is implied indicated represented by something else 
So that sounds, oh, what are you talking about? Well, let's give you a few examples of that. And this is really important. We may have touched on this before, I don't know. But when I uh, use a word, for example, the word dog or person, it could be any word that because the word is representing stuff, there is the word itself, which is just a few letters strung together. But as soon as I say dog or person or father or something, that means something. But the point about it is, and we'll get into this when we talk about culture, if I live in one part of the world, it may be that that entity, be it a word, a gesture or whatever, this external explicit thing is pretty straightforward. It's in your face, isn't it? It's obvious. We can see and touch it and feel it. Indeed, but it turns out that the meaning of that may not necessarily be the same. In dep- Let me give you an example. So I lived in the Middle East. I had a friend. He was Lebanese. And uh, when I first began talking to him, he uh, and I might say, you know, are you going to catch the bus tonight or something? And he, he just tilted back his head a little bit and tutted like that. And I thought, what have I said to offend him? Because in this country, if you tut, then you're irritated or annoyed. But in that part of the world, it just simply means no. And so you could pick up all sorts of je- you know gestures that mean something in our culture, mean something completely different. And so you could get completely wrong. You're telling yourself a story in your head, which is completely um, out of touch with 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 inaccurate, with, with, yeah. inaccurate with, with or with with reality. Yeah, out of touch. And so that's why this this thing about meaning is is so important. We talk about hidden meaning sometimes, don't we? And so my working definition of meaning is that which underlies that which is the that which you're trying to represent. So it might be a word, an action, a gesture, but it is what is being trying to be conveyed. That is the meaning. And that is implicit. It's internal. It's it's not in your face. It's not so concrete. And so so when we talk about culture, and certainly when we talk about worldview, we're getting into the arena of the implicit. So it's a bit like asking for culture. It's a bit like asking a fish, what is water? Because the fish is completely surrounded by water and doesn't know, can't explain it, if it could explain it. Yeah, it's exactly. And when we talk about worldview in a minute... Um, then we'll certainly get into that kind of territory. Just sticking with culture for a moment, though. Culture, when you talk to the anthropologists, they say it's those sets of beliefs and habits and activities that are characteristic of a particular group of people. It could be a small group. More often, it's quite a large group. We talk about Western culture. We might talk about Middle Eastern culture or something like that. And it's that which, if you are part of that culture, it's the way we do things. Mm. And somebody comes from a different culture and they're shocked. We talk about culture shock. And why is that? It's because when you go to a different culture, the same activities... Uh, actually mean something else because they're culturally understood. So we're talking about this under 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 the surface stuff. Okay. And then so worldview, I think you talk about worldviews in terms of the glasses or spectacles with, with which we look at the world. Well, it's perhaps worth taking just a, a, few, a minute or so to try and unpack that because the deeper you go, the more tricky it is to understand. Mm-hmm. If something that's physical or even kind of relational, we kind of, we know what that is. But when we're getting into these deeper territories, it takes a little bit more time. So anyway, just take a moment to do it. Supposing you're a Martian or an alien landing in a town near here, they might, just a hypothetical conversation, they might have a look around and what they see is the obvious stuff. 
and they see certain behaviours happening. So they see these human beings going around in small boxes on wheels from place to place, and every morning they go from there to there, and the adults go to one box, and they take the little adults or the little people to another box, and they simply describe what's being done. That's addressing the question of what is done. That's behaviour. That's a good place to start. But that isn't the whole story, is it? because people do certain things why because they think that some things are more worth doing than others in that point so you could sit around do nothing all day but because you have values what is good what is best then you do a certain thing rather than another thing okay so you you go to these boxes because you consider that uh, having work is a good thing because it brings money etc so deeper than that they might then say oh well that's interesting they do that yeah but why do they think that 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 value is the best thing to do and that gets into the territory of beliefs what is true and we do these things work education whatever why because we we think we have a belief or beliefs about human beings that they function best when certain things happen, when certain values and behaviours. So you're so you got beliefs, and then you're digging quite deep here. Beliefs about human beings, about the way we should be and operate, even deeper than values. But and here's the crucial thing, and those beliefs, values, and um, behaviours are what culture is all about, and it's different from place to place. Or at least the deeper you go, the more different it becomes. But what is often then not considered, why? Because it's so implicit and unconscious that it isn't even thought about, is this realm of worldview. So it's not just what is true, my belief system, but what is real, the assumptions on which that is based. So the worldview is even deeper than the culture, basically. Absolutely. So, in fact, it's so much unconscious in fact, somebody just these anthropologists just define it in terms of the set of assumptions that we we don't examine, we don't even realize are there most of the time until somebody starts thinking about it, and then you realize, oh, hang on a minute, I, I believe something because of the well, let's put it this way, perhaps again, it's a bit abstract. It, it, somebody's put it this way that it, it's like a, a um, some glasses, some specs that we wear and we aren't even aware of it's our cultural worldview uh, and it's tinted a certain color blue or yellow or something but somebody else next to me who wears a different kind of specs has a different worldview sees the world uh worldview and not just the worldview the cosmos as well in a completely different way. Why? Because they have different set of assumptions. And this can have huge implications in terms of relationships as well, because if, if I have if, if my worldview sees the world, say, with blue coloured specs and you see it with yellow coloured specs, I can get really angry and frustrated with you. Um, and that can cause huge. Well, I think it, it can be a source of huge conflict in, in, in the world. So if you want to know more about that, do have a listen to the previous podcast uh, where we unpack that more. Um, but let's think about, obviously, we have a materialist worldview that, that says that's where we find meaning and direction in our lives. And Andy's done a, kindly done a short blog post called We're All Materialists Now that um, unpacks that more. And you can get that from the website at drsunil.com. But as we think about happiness, how does this materialist worldview that, that is so deeply ingrained in our culture and is the dominant worldview, it, so it seems particularly in, in, in the media, um, around us um, how does that impact on happiness 
Well, um, <clears throat> another way of kind of describing uh, worldview is this strange word meta-narrative. A narrative is just a storyline. A storyline, meta-narrative is just a big storyline. The storyline about the big story. And it, it's in the realm of this worldview stuff. In other words, the way we perceive, understand uh, humanity, ourselves, and actually the whole cosmos as well. It's an assumption. And the dominant storyline, narrative, worldview, call it what you like, paradigm, goes by lots of different names, but it's really talking about the same thing, is... Uh, in our society, in the West, is that the ultimate reality of the universe is material. It, the universe is made up of matter and of energy. And you can't reduce it any more than that. Or else you can get down to the quantum. We can think about quantum theory if you like. But in terms of the majority of understanding, it's just matter and material. And so if that is what everything's made up of, including you and me, then ultimately it can be explained in those terms. And the explanation based on the story, the narrative, um, the worldview, is a material matter-orientated one. It's made of that. And this gets really interesting when we talk about happiness, doesn't it? Because people with a materialistic worldview who try to understand happiness and well-being, one of them, very interesting, somebody called Alan McNaught, says then to divine happiness or well-being in our with that kind of worldview is ultimately fruitless, frustrating, and ultimately impossible. So some of the best brains in the world with the materialistic worldview literally do hit a brick wall. Mm. Well, in empirical science, science uh, which has brought so much um, benefit over the last 200 years or more, um, is, is uh, what's the word, predicate, is based on a material understanding. In other words, that which can be quantified yeah. that which can be measured yeah. and so the only things we can measure are material things we can't measure happiness mm. we can only talk about the consequences of happiness and so if you're a health expert like he is a scientist like McNaught there a well-being health expert if we approach it simply and only on the basis of empirical science which is a very good place to, to start we can only address the question what is this and how does it work and maybe that's the whole point. It's, it's a good place to start, but you can't just stay there. You have to you have to move on. And let's do that. I mean, because we're now thinking about the whole issue with happiness and direction and meaning. And to live a happy life in the true sense of the word means you have to find fulfillment. You have to you need to have a direction in your life that that you are, as it were, um, in in harmony with. And then this is really fascinating because. In the past, maybe people talked about meaning and purpose was just do your duty, you know, just just get on with it, do what you're supposed to do, you know, be a good employee, be a good husband, be a good father, which are all good things, and we certainly don't want to knock that. But I think what we're finding in our increasingly challenging and complex world is that that's not enough. And it's interesting that um, again, you know, some famous writers like Dostoevsky says, and you quote him in your book, he says, "Every ant knows the formula of its ant hill." Every bee knows the formula of its beehive. They know, they know it in their way, not in our way. Only humankind does not know, what it, does not know its own formula. So that was you know, a famous writer from, from the 19th century, Dostoevsky. But more recently, you know, uh, psychologist Robert Emmons says, humans are the only meaning-seeking species on the planet. Making meaning is an activity that is distinctly human. So... We are meaning-seeking creatures, 
and it is intrinsic to our humanness, as relationships are intrinsic to our humanness, humanity, I should say. Expand on this for us, you know, and why then story is so important. Well, I suppose going back to this idea of uh, of a ultimately a material materialistic worldview, which says that everything is made up of and can be reduced to uh, material things, matter and energy. It's actually quite a challenge then to then construct all those things like longing, like relationships, and especially meaning. Where is the meaning in all that? Where do we find meaning? Of course, existential philosophers say in they couldn't find it in this materialistic, so they kind of had a leap of existential faith. And I think I, I give them credit for actually... So what, what do you mean by a leap of existential, existential faith? Well, yeah. we didn't get into uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, but, but I think all, all I would say on that is because we are longing for meaning... It's, and because it's difficult to find meaning out of atoms, where do you look for meaning? And, yeah. you know, different philosophers and approaches have done yeah. different things. However, if we have a different view of it, a different worldview, and say, actually, perhaps it isn't just, the, the universe isn't just made up of matter, perhaps our narrative, the big story, isn't just simply a matter of material things. Perhaps there's more to it as well. And I've written down in my um, comment on it that the key questions uh, in life are what are, is it, are we, how does it work or how do we work? But then there are other questions like who are we and who am I and why am I here? The point about uh, material Empiric science is that it can address the first two, what is it and how does it work, but is not, it is not designed because it only measures things, things, but is not able really to engage or give an adequate answer to the question, who am I, why am I here? Because those are issues of relationship and of meaning, and we need to try and find other ways to find that. And so we've been very much, as it were, dominated with this materialistic world worldview that's very much in Greek thinking and you open up to us something you call Hebraic thinking explain this I mean, and you touched on there but just expand on that on, on, for us on, on that a, a bit more okay well uh, we are so used in the west because of the last 300 years ever since the enlightenment and just expand it and in for what the enlightenment is for, for, for those who, do, who, who don't know Okay, so science started about four or five hundred, modern science started about 400 years ago with the likes of Isaac Newton and so on. Um, but an extension of that, not by people like him, but others, said, well, now we've found the explanation for things. It's in the material and so on. Science is opening it up. And, and so that group of people in the Enlightenment, the 18th century, said, well, we don't need any other explanation. The story is, our, is the story, the material story, and that explains everything. And, so if, and, if you, and then that's where I suppose, the reductionist approach came. So you just to understand something, you just break it down into its integral pieces, but that isn't enough. Indeed. So, um, so actually, here's, here's the rub. There are other stories that are plausible as well. And the assumption is, because we're in the area of assumptions here, the assumption in, in our part of the world, which is actually quite unusual, both in history and in today, uh, that most stories, narratives, cultural understandings, don't see 
the universe in those terms. They certainly include it, but they see it much more than that. And the, every other culture, the non-Western cultures in history and today, actually have a much more expanded and broad, deep, deeper understanding. And so, with the with the Greek, with the sort of this Greek worldview, if I want to understand, say, a pigeon, then I just break the pigeon down into smaller in, into. I just break it down, dissect it to understand it, but I can't then bring it back together to make the pigeon again. Or the example of water being made up of hydrogen and oxygen. But if I try to understand hydrogen and oxygen, there's no way I can understand water. And I can't understand human beings then either. If I just break them down into bones and arteries and veins and muscles and organs, which obviously is an important part, but that has its limitations. Well, when we talked about, um, well, you mentioned uh, Greek thinking and this this guy Plato emerges in that essentially what he said was that there's there's compartments to the world and to life on the one hand there's the visible the material and then there's the other uh, compartment which is the invisible and they're not the same in fact the invisible is more real than the visible okay so that found its way into western thought until a man called rene descartes about 300 years ago a kind of french philosopher he took it further and he said well actually with all this science that's going on there's the 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 um the mechanical stuff the physical and there's the mind and the rest of it is separate in other words he brought a complete separation and now in the natural sciences 200 300 years on are separate from psychiatry well you'd know all about that and from psychology they are trying to bring it back together but it's it's forced this compartmentalization with the emphasis on the material and increasingly in these last few hundred years the other stuff has become rather vague and rather difficult to describe and yet it's been found sadly wanting and lacking in in in, in its understanding of the world as we see it so we're, we're talking about happiness and we're trying to bring this all together and one of the words that you you bring in is a hebrew word called shalom um and i love the definition that you give of shalom um which you, you say is as a, well, as a working definition it's, it's wholeness for the whole person in the whole of life, extending to the whole of the cosmos. I mean, if you want to get all-encompassing, <laughs> I can't think any other way you get more encompassing than that. For, for, for people listening who, who, who maybe haven't heard the word shalom or maybe heard it and not quite sure what it means, in, in, unpack that for us because I think it's such a rich word and I think it's so intrinsic to understanding what we mean by happiness and, in a sense, what your book is saying in terms of searching for deeper meaning and fulfillment and finding lasting happiness yeah well it's it's uh, when i perhaps you should go back to this hebraic understanding i'm simply talking about uh, what the bible says and especially the first part of the bible the hebrew uh, understanding and and the point about that is it's a worldview it's it's a different kind of worldview it includes the material but sees the whole of human beings the whole of my life, the whole of the universe, as one whole thing. So it's not saying that the material is better than, than the spiritual, or the spiritual is better than the material, but it's saying it's all that it's all important. Yeah. So I would call that a holistic. It's not the only holistic uh, worldview, but it is, I think, a very plausible and very uh, helpful one because it doesn't just address those questions: what what is there and how does it work. 
It's, it addresses the question, who are we and why are we there? Which are the deepest questions of all and go way beyond just the visible and the material and go into the deeper longings of the heart. Yeah, and no amount of science or technology can answer those questions. Right. So science is obviously engaging with the, the visible and the measurable. But these other things, who am I? How do you measure my... These are all why questions which science can never answer. Yeah. So, so in my view, therefore, and that's what I'm arguing in the latter part of this book, is that unless we have a deeper, broader, more holistic worldview, then we're going to be stuck... Uh, and always at the certain point, which is the visible horizon. Uh, so I'm arguing, and, and people don't have to embrace my worldview, but I'm saying, well, actually, it's got to be a bit more than that that addresses the deeper longings in the heart. And this word shalom is simply one of those words that express a very common word, 350 times in the Hebrew Bible. And, you know, that's my working definition. And the whole point about it is that it expresses... Um, Two words that I use throughout the book are connection and integration. And so it expresses that an understanding of the world and people that is connected and integrated, whether it be the physical or the deep spiritual, they're actually all of a piece. Why? Because there's a person who lies behind it all and actually has a relationship with that which he has created and wants to maintain that relationship. So this worldview is saying that there is a person god who we can know um intimately and completely and that is what will bring fulfilling happiness and as you said bring this shalom this wholeness for the whole person in the whole of life extending to the whole of the cosmos and what a contrast that is because it really shows the limitations of the materialistic worldview as this as we mentioned earlier, this this health expert alan mcnaught said from his worldview finding a definition of well-being and happiness is ultimately fruitless frustrating and ultimately impossible um and so we've hit a brick wall there. But let's come back, because this, this is really exciting stuff, as we understand Shalom. And we sort of, you, you say, so we're summarize and encapsulate, bring it all together with the analogy of a simple tree. I say simple tree, because trees are much more than they're not simple at all. But they're very commonplace, and we all can identify with a tree wherever we are in the world. As we, as, if we sort of summarize everything we've had, and I'd really encourage you to listen to the previous podcast if you haven't, um, in our conversation on this book, Lasting Happiness in Search of Deeper Meaning and Fulfillment. How does understanding the tree bring this all together? Hmm. Well, I was going to start off by saying apologies for all the gaps, that not the gaps in, in the um, program, but the flow from one thing to another. Here we are talking about shalom, we're talking about well-being, now we're talking about trees. Some of our listeners might be going, well, how do they connect? Well, all I can say is you probably need to read the book to get the flow of that. But this is a way that I am um, seeking to um, express. All. It's an analogy, but it's, it's, I think it's a very helpful analogy. Yeah, to express all the, the foregoing, whether it's relationships, meaning, etc. Anyway, um, <laughs> I call it the tree of life. You could call it the well-being tree. And, and it goes a bit like this. Um, after all, I, I live, uh, although I live in the city, behind me is a very beautiful park and it's got some very impressive large trees and I've always been amazed by them. And what strikes me as extraordinary, it's a long time since I did biology, but I do remember this bit, that a tree is, if you like, can, uh, composed of three main parts. Obviously, underneath, 
are the roots. You don't see them, but they're underneath the surface. Um, then there's the trunk or the shoot, as I've called it, that goes straight up from the ground, and it's bearing all the weight. And out of that go branches and leaves and blossom and all the rest of it. And I've, I've called that fruit, or at least that which it bears is fruit. So it works quite well in English, roots, shoot, and fruit. And so the idea of that, it's, it's not only interesting in its own right, but it's, it, there are so many parallels, and that's why I see it as a good metaphor or illustration. For it. So, for example, the roots go down deep. And the interesting thing about uh, trees is that uh, the roots go down and out to the same extent that the branches go up and out as well, to the same degree. So if you see these huge trees... And imagine how big the root system is. It's as much as below ground as it is above ground. That's very significant as a picture for me because that's what our lives are like. That's what the world is like. Or, or like an iceberg, which is a different metaphor. There's more below the surface than there is above. And the point about roots is they do so many things. Not only do they absorb the nutrients and the water that keeps the whole thing alive, but they also root, anchor, the whole structure so the storm might come but because it's well rooted it's able to sustain it and so obviously there's many parallels you could think of how and questions that arise so what's happening in what is my root system what what keeps me anchored in life what stops me from falling over or being destroyed what is it that i'm surrounded by what's the soil like is it clean and good and nutritious or is it polluted is that am i exposed to toxins even in the uh, uh, the unconscious ways because most of this you see that the kind yeah. of and, and it's it's unseen and yet it's vitally important and just thinking the parallel where we talk about the materialistic worldview is the materialistic worldview ignores it all and yet if we think of the example of the tree with the roots it's just vitally important to the sustenance and life of 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 the tree yeah exactly there's a verse in the New Testament of the Bible that says that we need to be rooted and grounded in love. And I think that's, you know, it's, not only is that good advice, it's survival. <laughs> and what we are rooted and grounded in, and he was obviously thinking a tree when he wrote that, uh, w is really vital to our survival, leave alone our flourishing. So the roots, and you can carry it on, we probably don't have the time, but you can think of a straight trunk or shoot it needs to go straight why because carrying so much weight on it if it's tilting only a little bit it won't be long before the whole thing collapses so that raises the question that which is visible so the trunk is visible so it represents that which is visible not just physically but to other people i'm in connection with them is it straight the interesting thing about this word straight is um in the Greek and the and the the Latin, they have the they have that meaning, the root word of justice and righteousness or uprightness, right living, righteousness is the word straight. But so in both Greek and in Latin, so the roots of our language show that straightness, and then we're talking about straightness of character, integrity, is that that brings justice and right uprightness. That's the same idea, and so lots. And then, of course, the fruit, the branches, whatever. The question is worth. You could you could say 
that a plant or a tree exists to bear fruit, that it's raison d'etre. In other words, it's there to not only sustain itself, but to pass on legacy to others, the fruit, if you like. And so again, that raises loads of questions. So if somebody was to take of the fruit of my life, my words, my actions, my attitudes, etc., and take like an, a fruit, an apple, take a bite of it, what would they get from that because if i'm drawing on poison they're going to get poisoned etc yes. etc et so there's loads and loads of different ways of thinking yeah. about that it's such a rich metaphor and i just think of um again from the new testament from the book of galatians that the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control and as you said people somebody tastes my life or your life do they taste those things or what else do they taste it's a fantastic metaphor and um and it's so rich and deep i, mean, I sort of think again if you take the whole picture of the bible as well the bible starts with a garden and with a tree the tree of life at the center of the garden and a tree of knowledge of good and evil and adam and eve eat from there and then you have two thousand years of history and everything that happens after that and then the bible ends in the book of revelation with another garden with a city around that garden but in the center of that garden right in the center of the city is the tree of life again um and this goes again to this understanding of happiness and shalom, wholeness for the whole person, the whole of life, extending the whole of the cosmos. Andy, this has been a very rich conversation with you. Uh, as we start sort of scratching on this subject of happiness in our superficial world that, that, that just looks for the externals, thank you for taking us through such an amazing journey um, all the way to the tree of life. Uh, any final comments you want to make? Um, well, I mean, how do you sum summarize it? At the, at the end of the book, I've got a kind of, although I don't like, you know, these bullet points, how to be happy, da, 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 da. On the other hand, there are some things that we can do. I read five of them, didn't I? Yes. And I think it, it's worth just looking at the, the back uh, of the book and, and, and lifting some of the things out, out of there. Like I said, if you want to be happy, have healthy relationships and get some kind of meaning and purpose in your life. Yeah. Well, thank you again for just opening this up to us. Again, the book is Lasting Happiness in Search of Deeper Meaning and Fulfillment. Andy, thank you so much for your time and, uh, and, and for really opening this up to us. No worries. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com and could you do us a favor head over to itunes to rate the program this is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most also do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to don't forget to check out the blog for more great content that's drsunil.com helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world until next time goodbye for now